If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Wow, really excited about being back here with Mary and also my friend from years and years ago, Brian Williams. He is the founder and the senior pastor at Hope City House of Prayer, which is here in my town of Columbus, Ohio. And Brian's also the director of the Biblical Justice Institute. Brian, welcome to the One Voice podcast. Hey, Nicole. So glad to be here with you guys today. Excited to talk with you. Yes, absolutely. And you just had your sixth child. Yeah. Well, my wife, (laughs) I guess I'm an accomplice. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Um, Mary, Brian has had his sixth kid in six years. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're a little bit crazy over there, but we'll (laughs) forgive them. Oh man. So that's exciting. Yes. Your baby's name is Ariel. Ariel Shalom. Yep. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And thanks for carving out some time in the midst of the craziness over there. (laughs) No problem. Well, Brian, you and I have known each other for years and years. I remember many times just plopping down at Starbucks and going off about our heart for (laughs) Jesus and justice and what we were going to do to tell our whole city about it. (laughs) So I've loved just listening to your heart for that. And, um, but I will say that I think the best thing that you have ever accomplished in your ministry is, um, telling your sister about me and telling me about your sister, Akia. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Wow. So good job on that. <laughs> uh, for those listening, uh, Brian's sister, Kia Red, was a guest actually on our podcast a few months ago. It's called Empowering Voices and Eliminating Racism. And she's a, a great advocate when it comes to mental health and just been such a sweet sister to me um, the past couple of years. So thank you for that. We give you all props. <laughs> Brian, could you just kind of unpack to us a little bit about just your background, um, even just your journey of faith? But one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have your voice share with us today is just your heart towards the marginalized, towards the oppressed, towards the abused, towards the enslaved. Like, how did you get to this place um, in your journey? Has that always been something that you've cared deeply about and wanted to be a voice on? Or is this something that kind of evolved as your faith journey evolved? Well, thank you for that question. Um, before I answer that, I just want to say thank you to you for your tireless efforts over the years mm-hmm. and your voice and advocacy for the marginalized and as we say, the least of these as well. It's been such inspiration and your writings and just your voice in general have just been so encouraging to me. So I'm honored to sit down with you and talk for a little while today. Uh, But yeah, my journey, um, I'm raised in church, of course, like most PKs, you kind of grew up with the Bible being thumped over your head, but it wasn't really until I was 
about 19 years old in college where I had an encounter with Jesus Christ that was real for me and not just so much like an inherited belief system. Mm -hmm. And when I met the Lord, it was really like in the place of prayer. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were praying on campus at Ohio State, the Ohio State University, (laughs) gotta say the, the, The. but uh, (laughs) we were praying for issues of injustice, such as human trafficking, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all these different world hunger issues. We were praying about those issues with college students. And so I think for me, that was where the dots kind of connected that our faith is more than what we say or what we believe, but what we do. Mm. And so I just really, from the age of about 19, just begin to ask God to help me, like to be a voice. And so, mm. you know, I'm a little bit older now. Um, so 16 years later, um, to God be the glory, I can say my heart's got softer on that, mm. on those issues rather, but it really was becoming proximate to people. Um, there's like a lot you can read and hear, but until you really get in the trenches with people who are hurting, who've been through things, and then you yourself going through different things, your heart really won't, um, you know, reverberate much. And so just through working, I worked in a homeless shelter here in Columbus, Ohio, Mm. um, and just meeting different women who have been in prostitution And, you know, just victims of domestic violence and just seeing the humanity of these women, especially, it really cultivated a paradigm shift for me to where I said it would kind of be like wrong for me to just preach and pray and not do anything. Um, It'd be kind of like hypocritical, really. So Mm. that's what I've been aiming to do over these last, you know, decade and a half or so. And as a missionary, so after I graduated from Ohio State, I went overseas to do missions work and spent some time in Asia, in uh, Taiwan and in India. And as I'm sure you know, there's a huge issue of uh, injustice, especially related to human trafficking in those countries. And so, again, I just kind of found myself on the front lines. And I know that looking back, I know that it was God who was ordering my steps. But I I think the key word is just relational and proximity, like those words being relational and being proximate has probably been the primary reason why I feel my heart is connected to those issues mm-hmm. of injustice. Because again, at the end of the day, it's not about rattling off stats or just jumping on some sort of bandwagon, but it's about, you know, feeling uh, empathetically the pain and suffering of those around us. And then as believers, followers mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, we're called to reach out and to bring healing. And so as a pastor, really, I never was wanting to be like a pastor, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. And I knew that preaching the gospel was where it all began. So mm-hmm. for nine years now at Hope City, we've been a, uh, a justice oriented church mm-hmm. and uh, God willing, we'll be able to do a lot more in the days to come, but, you know, that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at now. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that answers the question, yeah. but that's, that's no, the short does. verse. <laughs> I just love what you said about proximity because, yeah. you know, in this day and age of, you know, social media and all of that, it's so easy for people to just have an opinion and think that they know a lot and say these certain things when they're not, they've never even met the person that they're yeah. kind of talking about right like right you know 
to pop on there and, and have such strong opinions, but to never have walked alongside a person of color or a gay person or, you know, someone who's been abused or a drug addict or things like that. They've never known that, but have an opinion. So, and it seems like once you have that proximity, how quickly I think that your heart does soften. And I think yeah. that the Holy Spirit can really um, do a number on us when we're honestly willing to come alongside someone who's different than us, right? And create a compassion there. And I think a lot of times um, for those who've not been sexually abused, even, you know, Mary and I are both survivors of sexual abuse. And so there's so many times there's people who don't get it because they've not walk that road, but you can get it if you're willing to walk with someone who has been. And so, you know, for, for friends or partners of a survivor of abuse to not understand it, it's okay if you're willing to try. And I think that's something that, um, when you're in ministry, that's gotta be something that you've got to do. Right. You know, as a pastor to be willing to cross the street and see the hurting person and hear their story rather than judging how they got there. Right. And that's something I admit, like it, it took a little time for me to fully understand that side of it. And so it's something that even now, like I'm asking God to help me to be Hmm. more proximate. And I think at the end of the day, like, what does it matter if you preach the greatest sermon in the world or write the greatest books, if you don't love, you know? Mm. So I'm just, I'm, that's my commitment from this going forward. Just like, Lord, help me to never act better than anybody or as if I know it all, just help me to always remain Mm -hmm. uh, humble, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Absolutely. And I think you've really shown that, you know, the years that I've watched you lead and pastor and just be with people, it's always been about love and humility. It's always, I think it's carried you. And, and I think it's what's how God is growing your church and, and your, your congregation, your community in so many ways. And um, yeah, my favorite post that you've, you make every now and then is the post about your mugshot. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so, so that'll humble that'll crazy. humble you <laughs> yeah it pops up on my uh, facebook memories around may of every year so <laughs> thankful for facebook to remind me <laughs> yes so you come from, from something <laughs> yeah i wonder your thoughts you know just as we're talking about you know walking alongside people who look different than us or have different stories and just developing a compassion there when it comes to like Christian community or the church, like what to you, what does a healthy church look like? And I'm going to give a little bit of background to that because for me, it's been very interesting and being an advocate for so many years and watching, you know, now the me too movement kind of come forward and then the church Too movement come forward, just people being willing to say like the church has actually caused so much harm to those who've been abused because so often churches want to protect, you know, their walls. They want to protect their leadership and, and in the midst of it are, you know, throwing away the abused and believing the abuser and all of that. And that's been so detrimental, I think, and and harmful to the name of Christ and to the gospel. Um, 
and so many survivors are just been bleeding from this. So to me, a healthy church has looked a lot like transparency and a willingness to come alongside those who've been hurt and to not try to hide um, when leadership messes up. Right. And to be honest. um, But what does that look like to you? Is there anything specific or is that not really a question that pops up? No, I, I, no, it's definitely important. Yeah. Um, and like you said, with all these different you know stories that have come out in the news over the last few years, it's something that we have to pay attention to and take mm-hmm. seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the key word you mentioned already is transparency. Uh, just, I think we kind of in the institutional church we create like this idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that might be why it's so shocking when yeah. these kind of scenarios unfold. Um, clearly, the Bible definitely calls church leaders in the church to be sought and to be light and to have a standard. But I think what's really, you know, equally detrimental is just across our culture. If you really look at the political landscape, Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much every industry, you see this prevalency of of abuse. And mm-hmm. I think the picture of, of abuse in, in that regard is, is so much an American problem, you know, not just America, sure. of course, but mm-hmm. that's our context. So that's what we see on the news every day. Mm-hmm. But I think in the church to answer your question of what does a healthy church look like? I think again, it's transparency from leadership, mm-hmm. a culture where I guess there are no superstar celebrities mm. where Jesus really is actually the only star of the show. Yeah. And then the key word for me would be accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times like these issues just kind of go undetected. And then once they are brought to the light, there isn't justice for the victim because there's really no, no actual accountability in place. Yeah. And so, you know, a few years back, that's one thing that the leaders of our church talked about. And, you know, we pray that there is never any kind of scenario like that in our church, but we just want to make sure that there is accountability so that Mm -hmm. not only justice for victims, but that, like you mentioned, the name of Jesus wouldn't be dragged through the mud because of poor decisions that, you know, people who use his name facilitated. So I think accountability is huge. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, those two words, transparency, accountability. I think another one, I guess, kind of ties into both is, is just humility. Um, mm-hmm. Secrecy is kind of like the main thing. When you look across the board, there's like a lot of secrecy. Like, mm-hmm. And like you said, people want to preserve the image, the reputation. So stuff just kind of gets swept under the rug. And so you have to deal with that. And I think the only way, again, is as leaders, there has to be humility. Say, look, we want to like own up whenever there's an allegation, whenever there's a fault that's found. And we don't want to posture ourselves as if we are perfect people, but we want to be quick to repent Mm -hmm. and there should be restitution and there should be justice. So Mm -hmm. it just takes a lot of humility, I think. And that's really where we're seeing even in our country. I mean, from our president on down, Mm -hmm. our Supreme court, our senators, Mm -hmm. our Congress people, there's just this ego that you yeah. know we we cannot be wrong about anything mm. so um, yeah right right yeah. and such a need for control you yeah. know the narcissism from the top down it, it's a real problem i think and the government and the church in some ways have mirrored each other with that and it's been a yeah. real problem for people yeah as it should be <laughs> 
Well, I wonder what's important to you and your ministry now, like as you're pastoring through a pandemic, like people are struggling, especially yeah. survivors of abuse, like being isolated, especially is triggering and um, feeling a lack of control is triggering, not having community. People are living in fear. You got all these conspiracy theories flying everywhere. Like people are losing their minds. What is it like to be pastoring, you know, keeping your church afloat right now? Um, I especially am wondering emotionally um, yeah, how that's I'm, been. I don't know if you can hear the deep breath I just took, but that, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the yeah. best way to answer that. I think, like you said, um, even in communities um, such as ours, which is primarily you know, black and brown folks, Mm -hmm. the problems are even, I guess, more pronounced because just from this typical American capitalistic structure. And by the way, I'm not against capitalism. I just want to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) Not a socialist, but there are so many disparities from healthcare, education across the board that affect minority communities. So the way that translates into the local church is just it's just exponentially more challenging, especially when you're dealing with resources, trying to keep the mission in front of people Mm. while yet they're battling all of these real life issues. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you see it on the news about the essential workers or, you know, restaurants, grocery stores, these blue collar type of jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, those are mostly jobs that are held by minorities. And so, the added stress of, I don't have really the option to work at home from my office. You know, I have to go and bag groceries. And I mean, of course, it's not all black and brown people work those jobs, but majority of those jobs are held by minority people. Mm-hmm. So I think with emotional wellness, mental health issues, even you see the increase in drug use, um, alcoholism. I mean, there is definitely a strong yeah. correlation. Absolutely. So, for me, um, I've just had to lean into God, man. Like, and I just think for me too, history has helped me a lot. Just studying history, knowing that God's church has always been resilient through history and through tough times, such as a pandemic or persecution that God is faithful. And really for all of us at our church, we've just had to lean into community. I think mm-hmm. it's emphasized the need, like we can't do this on our own. Like we really need each other. So in one way, you know, you could see the negatives, but also see like God's sovereign hand in all this to where we're realizing just like what's actually important. Mm-hmm. And that isn't the big hype mega church production stuff. It's just really like <laughs> doing life with people and making yourself available to pray with or talk to people mm-hmm. And just, you know, encouraging people. I don't think there's really a solution mm-hmm. other than endurance, yeah. you know, to be yeah. honest. So we're just riding it out, man, and asking <laughs> God for help every day. Yeah. Wow. And it brings me back to just the model that Jesus was, even in a time like yeah. this. Like he modeled to us how to care for the poor, how to care for the unemployed, how to love, you know, the orphaned the abused, the, the widows, those who are shut-ins, right? Like yeah, all of that, which is very interesting how he modeled all of that. That's something like you as a pastor can lean into right now and, and know that 
above all else, we can love people and we can treat them like Jesus. But to me, that is all social justice, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, how do we get to a point where Christians, now this is going to be a heavy hitter, <laughs> where Christians, people who love Jesus and follow the gospel and the teachings of Christ have gotten to a place where they don't think social justice is a Christian issue. <laughs> like this is yeah. why is there pushback from the church? Honestly, I have a lot of answers for a lot of things. <laughs> I need you to tell me why. Cause I cannot wow. wrap my mind around. It is so obvious to me. Yeah. Even well, with the lot. race stuff. I mean, yeah. why? There's a, there's a lot of uh, reason for it. I think it really begins with like, doctrine or theology i mean the way people understand the gospel is really the fundamental issue here um and i've seen a lot of that pushback especially from certain parts of the evangelical world but i don't want to broad stroke the whole evangelical church world because there's lots of good evangelicals that are doing a lot of good justice work mm -hmm. um but there there definitely are segments that have made a big noise about social justice being like an attack on the gospel, mm. contrary to the gospel. So I think it really begins with like how you understand the mission and the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Mm. And I guess also when you really think about the American church, you can't leave out the issue of money, you know, to be honest with you, yeah. church, church is a business in America True. and many of these mega, not even mega, but just some mega, but just some even, you know, small local churches, there's such a bottom line incentive. And so, for example, there's a prominent church that I, I was connected to at one point. And, you know, I've always been pretty outspoken about the pro-life issue. As I've gotten older and understand the issue of abortion more thoroughly, I at least have you know, the capacity to understand opposing views, mm -hmm. even though I still believe what I believe. Sure. Um, but as long as I was speaking out about that issue, which I think most people would say, this is a justice issue. This is a social issue. Um, they were supportive. They were <laughs> championing the cause. They're like, man, go for it. Like, do you need any money? How can we help you? Mm -hmm. And then immediately, like when I started to feel God's heart for the issue of racism and the systemic things going on in America, speaking on that. Now, suddenly those same people not only withdrew their support, but began to attack me personally Ooh. and accuse me of, you know, being mm. a heretic. I'm like, what? Wow. But I, so I think it's, it's, it's deep. I think there's a lot of dormant racism. Mm -hmm. um, and when you even hear like a lot of, no offense, but like most white people, when I talk to my white friends and we talk about like, white supremacy mm -hmm. uh, or white privilege, they get very offended with mm -hmm. that terminology. And I'm like, let me help you understand. It's We're not <laughs> saying that every white person is walking around with the Ku Klux Klan right, hat on right. or trying to lynch black people. Mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of it is just a lack of understanding as well. I mean, even for yeah. me. Well, I think that comes down to humility too. Like yeah. I might be white, but I, I need to be humble enough to hear that there has been centuries of this. I mean, yeah. this is a, you know, Martin Luther King said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends, bends toward, toward justice. justice. We all have to bend down and be willing to look at all this stuff outside of ourselves. Right. Yeah. 
No, no offense Absolutely. taken. Please go ahead. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that's the key. Like you said, humility, because I have thankfully many friends um, who don't have the same skin color or ethnicity as me, but they're very teachable. Mm-hmm. They're willing to learn. And like, because of that, they've become some of the greatest voices for true justice in our community. Mm-hmm. And it, that's encouraging. I mean, if you really go back and look at the civil rights movement and you look at some of those marches or protests that Dr. King and others were leading, it wasn't just black people. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of white people, a lot of Jews and other ethnicities represented as well, but they were often scrutinized by the majority culture for that. And so I think anytime you stand for justice, there's a risk and there's a price that you got to be willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, many churches, even in this country, they're not willing to lose members or financial supporters over issues of injustice, because at the end of the day, they've got to keep, excuse my vernacular, here, but they got to keep the machine propped up. So mm-hmm. if a pastor gets up there and he knows he's got a you know fairly conservative audience, and he starts to preach against the evil of racism, Mm. then he knows that his donor base may not support him. So how do you keep this million dollar operation going when you're offending your biggest contributors? It's kind of the same idea with politics and everything else. So I think that's the sad part is that American Christianity, (laughs) it's become so commercialized that you can't really do ministry without considering money. And that's really like the big issue. So like churches like ours, um, you know, we're in the inner city and we have kind of like a younger congregation, but even in our church, you know, like when I've made vocal stands against different issues, there's never been a time where I've said something about any issue of injustice where somebody in our church didn't give me an extreme amount of pushback. (laughs) You know, like we've had people leave, send hate mail, tell me I've fallen away from the faith that Mm. I am like lost or something. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, no, I've been getting them too. Trust me. (laughs) And it comes out of like, it comes from people that I have walked with, like, you know what I mean? Like I was the first person they told about their abuse and helped them towards healing or, you know, like led them Jesus even like, it is, it is so sad to me that like these simple issues that maybe I just have a real heart for have become so divisive for someone else. And it's hard to humble yourself enough to hear it and not be hurt by it, you know, like really getting a strong back, but like, it's hard. It's hard to have opinions. It's hard to care. It's hard to be doing justice and mercy in these days because not everyone agrees with you, (laughs) you know, when I think, Oh, this isn't obvious. Like I should love that person and maybe give them a meal. Like that someone else might be mad at me about it. Right. and leading a church, I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, thankfully, things are changing for the better. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, even things like this, like your podcast and just the other work that you do, mm-hmm. um, it gives a space for people to, to realize, like, we're not in this alone. There are others out there. Yes. And so it's so important to really build community because, again, um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all fighting the same fight, whether we know it or not. I agree with that. And I think it's really good. Like, I think in the past few years of really understanding like who my people are, you know what I'm saying? Like who really is walking with me. And, um, but at the same time, like you don't want your 
community to all look like you too. So, you know, being willing to hear the other side and to still be, like we said in the beginning, having proximity with people who may have differing opinions, but it has to be empathic. Like for me, it's like, I don't want to be talking about these issues with somebody who knows everything. (laughs) Like if you can't hear my side, I don't have time to listen to yours either. It's just too hard. And especially with all of the pain in the world right now, like it's too hard. But um, I think we just have to, it comes back to humility and just being soft to listen and hear stories. And, you know, maybe I move a little bit towards you in this way, but I'm not in this way, you know? So that that's very interesting while you're speaking and when you mentioned humility, it made me think about Jesus um, and his leadership style. If you get some time, just go back in the gospels and read like the 12 that he chose to be his original disciples. Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing to me because you've got Matthew, the tax collector, Mm -hmm. and you got Simon, the zealot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you got everybody else in between on the spectrum that are part of his team. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, we, you know, probably heard how tax collectors were looked at in those days, but Mm -hmm. yeah, Jesus chooses one. Mm -hmm. And then he chooses a zealot who was like overthrowing or wanting to overthrow the Roman occupation. And he puts these guys on the same team. He's like, you guys are going to be the foundation of the church. (laughs) Get along. (laughs) Yeah. So, but think of it Mm -hmm. though, for three years or so these guys are doing life together Mm. and when it's all said and done when jesus ascends the holy spirit comes that is the foundation so i think one of the things that god has had to really help me do is to be patient with people who don't see it the way i see Mm. it immediately and and try my best to see the best in them so i think like this is what i've learned dealing with people I mean, I, I have a pretty diverse upbringing. So I was around all sorts of people growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. But in my conversations with white folks, the main thing I've noticed is that it's really an issue of just not knowing these things. Like it's never been taught. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that like white people in general are just racist inherently. I just think that all of us grow up biased and yeah. we are exposed to some level of teaching or not. But mm-hmm. when we become adults, we have to be humble, like you said. And so for those who are willing to humble themselves, then they can grow and they can be fruitful. I mean, even for me as a black person, especially as a black man, you know, there's obviously a lot of stuff in the news about police brutality and these killings of unarmed black people. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a, you know, kind of a natural bent toward that issue, but I've even been challenged to try to be objective as possible and how I view those situations, because at the end of the day, I mean, all of us, whether we're black, white, yellow, or red, we're, we're citizens in God's kingdom. So we just have to try to view things through the lens of truth, mm-hmm. um, even if it doesn't sit well with us. So right. I've been stretched, I guess, if I can explain it that way, I've been stretched as well to just like learn from others. Even if I have very strong opposing views, I've learned, I can say, honestly, I've learned from people on many issues. And so I, I don't know. I just need God's help every day. <laughs> Amen. Don't we all? So Brian, you know, I've been doing a lot of thought about just like in research, like I'm trying to really listen and learn and just sit under people that I think are brilliant when it comes to like racial reconciliation. 
you know, I've talked a lot about reconciliation and forgiveness when it comes to like trauma, right? You know, there's yeah. such a huge difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And most of the time, reconciliation is not an option for someone who has been abused. And it's it's not something I would ever push and just obviously very harmful in most situations for a spiritual advisor to push reconciliation on someone who's been abused by someone else. But when it comes to racial reconciliation, it's a whole new ball game. And, you know, I think a lot about just like the importance of, you know, sharing platforms and power and, and honestly just money reparations and things with, with people of color for the years that's been lost. And like, what are your thoughts on, on just that topic in general? On reconciliation with uh, regards to race. Yeah. Wow. Another awesome loaded question. (laughs) I'm here for it. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head again. I I mean, the key word you talked about was shared resources and shared power. Mm. Um, I saw a tweet the other day from Bernice King, Dr. Martin Luther King's Jr.'s daughter. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly how it went, but she basically said um, when a group of white Uh, leaders say to black people we want to invite you to the table what we're implying is that we own the table Mm. and so I've never heard it put that way but I think what that kind of highlights is this issue of equity not so Mm -hmm. much equality Mm -hmm. and I think when we talk about reconciliation we have to talk about equity and um, not just equality you know, um, because yeah. equity includes, of course, um, power and whatnot, but it also includes resources. And I think that's really when the rubber meets the road, whenever you bring up the issue of money or resources, that is where things tend to fall apart mm, Absolutely, <laughs> because uh, that is America's God, mammon. And yeah. so, you know, again, I think for the believer, though, I think as the Bible says, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Rather than the church following the world, the world should be following the example of the church. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we can't really control what goes on through the legislature and whatnot, but we can't control what goes on in the house of God. And so I think um, reconciliation looks many ways, but I think it starts with intentionality, building relationships on a personal level, because kind of like what you mentioned a moment ago, we don't want it to be forced. We don't want it to be generic. Mm-hmm. We want it to be real. And mm-hmm. that that requires time. That requires intentionality. And we've been talking a little bit about Dr. King, but he talked a lot about the table of brotherhood. And um, another quote that always stood out to me, either we learn to live together as brothers or we perish together as fools. Mm. And so I think if we could do away with this, you know, and I'm careful when I say this because I understand the historical implications and context of black Americans and white Americans. But -hmm. I think some of the problem really is that we see ourselves as separate people groups, Mm -hmm. which allows people to uh, basically just distance themselves and feel no sort of way about that. Mm -hmm. But if you as a, as a white woman in America, see your prop, my problem is your problem. Then you feel responsible to help solve it. Right. That's that is good. Yes. But Absolutely. If we talk, yeah. But if we talk about all these issues affecting the black community as an issue that black people have to deal with, not mm-hmm. understanding all the various things that created the problem, yeah, um, then it gives us kind of a peace of mind to where we can say, well, you know, we'll just stay in our 
our white world and we'll pray that their black world gets better. We we're living in the same country, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I'm sure you're familiar with Jim Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the book. I think it was America's original sin, but he told this story about how he was best friends with this guy growing up in Detroit and how basically the sum of the story was that they lived in two Americas yet they're both Americans. And so I think that's really the issue is like when we talk about reconciliation, mm-hmm. we have to legitimize that reality that mm-hmm. we live in two separate, not me per se, but many people live in two separate Americas. Yeah. And until we're w- willing to, I guess, take responsibility for that other America, then I don't know if we can even start right. So that's mm-hmm. why we need preachers. We need teachers. We need books. We need podcasts. We need a lot of people mm-hmm. doing the work of justice mm-hmm. because it's really not going to change. I mean, if you think about it, I think uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, <laughs> he, he said that uh, God whispers to us in our pleasure, mm-hmm. but he shouts to us in our pain. That's he right. Said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear the the pain and the cries of people who've been victimized, oppressed and marginalized through sexual abuse, through racism, through the, you know, the mass incarceration issue here in this country. Mm. Do we hear that as an annoying thing or do we hear that as God trying to wake us up? So I think Mm. that's really something I'm praying about is that we would interpret the cry from those who are in pain as God's mercy to us rather than just a bunch of, you know, liberal progressives or a bunch of people whining and complaining about America. Cause that's pretty much the rhetoric. Like, why don't you just go back to Africa or why don't mm. you, sh- sh- you know, I hear that stuff all the time. Mm. And I'm like, man, even in the church, like mm-hmm. we need to like take CS Lewis's advice and realize that God is trying to wake us up. Mm-hmm. You know, And I do think it's the call of the hour, Brian, honestly, of, of so many things, so many things that we're dealing with in this year of, 2020 like are we going to just succumb to the fear and the pain and all the horrible things or could we put on another lens and think about that maybe this is god's megaphone to us you know that yeah you know mary and i've been talking more recently just about you know the lament in the bible like god we he brings us grief and joy and we can feel it all in the same moment. Like he's a both and God and the kingdom is a both and thing. You know, it's the here, it's the not yet, but like we can feel it all. And if we'd be willing to just sit in the pain and sit in the grief and, and ask, you know, maybe what does God want to say to us right now? Yeah. And I think for years I've, I've said, you know, if, if, if no one sheds light on what's being done in the darkness, it will never stop talking about sexual abuse. Wow. And I yeah. said that survivors of abuse are going to be the ones that God uses to really wake the church up, to show them what it means to love the hurting, to come alongside yeah. those who've been silent. It's like, that's, that's been Jesus' heart through the whole gospel of, of yeah. meeting the woman where she's at bleeding and, and um, stepping across the street to the ones who are hurting. So survivors of sexual abuse have a voice. And, and I think that's a way that, that the 
Lord would, would bring revival in the church, to be honest with you. And we're starting to see that. And now when you see it, when it comes to, you know, racism becoming such a important topic for us to think about and lifting people of color to where they should have been years ago and acknowledging the pain that's gone on for generations. Like, what if this is it? What if that's yeah. the, the megaphone, all of this stuff? I believe it is. I mean, if you guys remember back in the beginning of the summer, right after George Floyd mm. was killed, mm. you saw the world, not just America, but the whole world. Mm. There were Black Lives Matter protests that's right. in Japan and Germany and England, got all over the world. Mm-hmm. And yep. as I can't even tell you what healing that was for me as an African-American mm. To see Japanese people who've probably never even seen a black person in real life, many of them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went to Taiwan and like I told you, did missions work. They had never even seen a black person. They all <laughs> wanted to like touch my hair and take pictures with oh, me. Oh my. <laughs> because the only black people they've ever seen are like on TV. Mm. But to see those people marching and mobilizing by the millions mm. around the world, but then right here in your own backyard. You've got next door neighbors who won't even understand or be humble enough to hear the story. Yeah. That is, that is like, that is just such a deflating thing. Now, unfortunately, again, because this is an election year, the whole black lives matter movement kind of got thrown under the bus with a lot of the political rhetoric and people doing all sorts of background checks on these ladies or who were the founders. And so, it's mm-hmm. amazing how it was popular for a few months and then it became a, a dog whistle uh, for many people to kind mm-hmm. of talk about Marxism or socialism. Crazy. Um, and I was just like, Lord, what's going on here? And I think, like you said, <laughs> this is our moment and the wheat and the tear are going to be separated at the time of harvest. And so mm-hmm. I think that even for you, I mean, I've known you for some time now. And you've been faithful, you know, you've been speaking up for those that don't have a voice for many years, mm-hmm. writing, speaking, teaching all over the country. And I think people like yourself are going to suddenly find yourself amplified because God wants the voice that you have that he's given you to be heard. And mm-hmm. I just want to encourage you with that, because even though you've obviously made a great impact already, there's so much more and so much need out there. And so even for you and others like you, this is your moment, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, the best, the story, this is the confidence I have, though, I guess when I read the Bible, the story ends on a high note. The story ends with a victorious church and a victorious Christ, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I just keep that in front of me and try not to get so shaken up by what's happening here and now because we know how the story ends. That's true. Yeah. That's the hope we have, right? Yeah. That's what we hold on to. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. And I know your heart is just to see God's heart in real life, like all nations, tribes, and tongues just together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just speaking love and hope to each other and being one. And I, I know that's what your church looks like and that's really exciting. Um, I guess I'd really love just to end in hearing some of what you're working on now. I know the Biblical Justice Institute is something you've had on your heart for years and years, and it seems like it's starting to come to fruition. Is that right? Yeah, you talk a little bit about that. 
yeah, what that so. looks like and and just it just seems really timely from what I'm reading, but you can tell more. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for uh letting me talk a little bit about it. It all started like I said um with prayer for me and there was one story in Luke 18 where Jesus talks about this persistent widow who was crying out for justice day and night. And he says, how much more will God not give speedy justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? So about six or seven years ago, we were praying a lot. Like, you know, Mike Brown, um, there's so many different hashtags, different names of people who have been killed by police. And there was kind of the beginning of this national uproar. And we were praying. And then I thought about what do we do after we pray? You know, we never stop praying per se, mm-hmm. but prayer has to have feet, you know? So we started this, this uh, initiative called justice talks, which was modeled really after Ted talks, but just mm-hmm. to have conversations about justice. And so over the last like five or six years, we've done a ton of community forums, panel discussions. Uh, We did a few podcasts and just different events trying to highlight issues of injustice and frame it around a biblical framework. And this past summer, um, again, after the George Floyd situation and we saw the world respond, God really just spoke to me to start the Biblical Justice Institute. So it really evolved from this other thing called Justice Talks. So Mm -hmm. the Biblical Justice Institute um, is going to be launched really, really soon. We will have a podcast as well. Nice. Um, if anyone wants to, I guess, get on the email list to get updates, the website is biblicaljustice.org. And it's just a landing page where you can put your email and name. And then uh, we'll be sending emails out soon to kind of update people. But the goal really is just to to mobilize through that and mm-hmm. to provide a space for followers of Jesus who feel kind of stuck between like their love for God and their call or their heart for justice, but don't know really where they fit. Mm. I think there's a a vacancy there in the Mm. activist world where, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to stand for justice issues if it forces you to deny certain things you believe, um, which I had that experience. So this is kind of right there in the middle (laughs) for us Mm. to be vocal about Jesus as well as vocal, thorough and true uh, talking about injustice. So that's the problem we want to solve or help solve. That's really good. Yeah. I, I do have, I'm wondering as you're talking about this, you know, a, a big part of my faith journey is understanding that we're all in process. Yeah. And I wonder if you give space for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I feel like when it comes to biblical justice, when it comes to loving Jesus and believing in justice, or and being an activist or an advocate and also being really rooted in the Bible, there's people who look so differently. And right. I think there's an assumption in some different corners of this, of like, you have to do these things and believe these things. And like, outside of that, you're not right. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like, are you, you kind of line up with, are you kind of like that? Or are you kind of like, for me, it's like, I just, I just want to give everyone grace to know like they're in process too. And we all can't look alike. We all can't have the same passion. You know, we all can't, we all haven't been from the same situation. So like when I have 
haters rolling up on me in my DMs <laughs> about certain things like they are assuming that I believe and I don't believe, but like we line up on a couple things, but then these other things it's like I'm about to get canceled for. It's yeah. just hard for me because like I just want everyone to look at each other as we're all in process. We all have different stories, but yay, we both love Jesus and justice. Like, can't we just yeah. all land on that and it'd be okay <laughs> or not in a, in a perfect world? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but like you said, I mean, we definitely have to give space because anybody that will be honest can even look at their own life and recognize they've evolved and their views have yeah. matured or they may have even dumped a few views. I know I've traded mm-hmm. in a few things that I used to believe sure even thing. as recent as a few years ago. Um, and that's the, the beauty of the journey, I guess. And so the tent has to be wide enough to include people who are moving in the same direction. I mean, mm-hmm. again, we move at different paces. We move mm-hmm. at maybe different angles. As long as we're kind of headed in the same general direction, <laughs> like yeah. we just got to make space for that. And I think that's where love comes into play because, you know, it's like that African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And I think that's really where justice work really kind of finds its footing is if we want to go far, we have to go together. If we want to just be the lightning rod, polarizing figure that calls out everybody's problems and Mm -hmm. faults, hey, go for it, man. But you probably won't have any fruit at the end of your life. Your days will be numbered there. Yeah. And that's why Dr. King, I mean, again, I keep bringing him up, but I just, I don't know if you've read, I'm sure you have actually the letter from the Birmingham jail. Oh yeah. Where he really, it seems like he was wrestling with the same thing, you know, Mm. because the, the letter was addressed to church leaders and there were people who were saying, Hey, it's not that serious. Hey, slow down. You're a troublemaker. And there's a phrase in there that I always stuck out to me said, you know, who are you to set the timetable for another man's freedom? Hmm. So when you're dealing with people who don't see it your way, I guess the tension is like, there is a point where you have to draw a line and say, no, this is wrong or this is right. And we're going to do it anyway, but we just gotta, we gotta be okay with the slow burn Mm because it's just, it's just a lifelong journey. I mean, Mm. but in due time, if we stay the course, that is the hope that things will change. You know, think about even today, like, I mean, things, if you go back and look at the time of the fifties and sixties, although we have a lot of progress that still needs to be made, we have made a lot. So I think that's the hard part for us. We we haven't. Yeah. (laughs) Goodness. Yeah. And just looking at the long haul and it matters and what we're doing now matters for your six babies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah they can carry it from here forward. But that's a really good word. Cause you know, as I, I look at other people who may, like I said, like may have been messaging me, I can see myself in them five years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. So to give grace there and know, like, I get it. I may have popped off on somebody back then about the same thing, but I'm here now. Yeah. So, you know, that's oh, really good. Wow. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> I feel like nice. we talked about everything. <laughs> I appreciate it. I definitely uh, made my day to talk Good. to you guys today. So thanks again for inviting me on your podcast. Absolutely. I would love to have you end with either just a real, like an encouraging word that you would feel for 
maybe survivors who've been hurt in the church or just pray for us. <laughs> I'll, I'll do both really quick. Love it. <laughs> to those out there who may hear this, who have been victimized um, and hurt by the church, I apologize on behalf of the church for that. I know that that may not soothe your heart the way that I hope it does, but we can do better as a church and we just need prayer. Um, but for those of you struggling with that, um, not only have I personally been in your shoes, I know many who have. And when the rubber meets the road, it is this grace of God that gives us power to love and to forgive. And I know that sounds kind of utopian or like pie in the sky, but uh, I found in my own life that his grace really is sufficient. And Nicole, even her story is that that God was able to heal and restore. And I guess too, one thing I want to encourage everyone with is that the process and the journey can take as long as it needs to take. There's no rush. There's no pressure to figure this out by tomorrow, but just to know that God walks with us and he weeps with us and he carries our burdens for us and he's committed to finish what he started. So no matter where you are on your journey, no matter where you are on the spectrum of maturity or, or what we say healing, God is patient. He's not in a rush. He just wants you to trust him and he's able to do what only he can do really, which is to heal and restore your life. And he's committed to that. So that's for me was carried me through the things I've been through and Lord willing in the days to come will keep me. So I just will pray a quick prayer along those lines, but I just want to thank everybody for listening and thank Nicole yeah. again for letting me on here. But Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your patience, your commitment, your heart for justice, for your um, ability to see below the surface into our hearts and to never judge us beyond Lord God um, the issues that we've been in, you know, exactly where we are and you love us all the same. So Lord, I pray for every listener of this podcast that the love of God would just fill their house, their home, their heart, and they would know that it's all good. They can trust you and you're worthy of their trust in Jesus name. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Brian. That's great. Yep. Your it's heart, an honor. It, your heart, I think is, is just, it's, it's a way for people to see Jesus, even if you don't open your mouth and talk about him. Like, and I just think we need more of that. And it's so soothing wow. to those who've been traumatized to, to know that they're honestly are men in leadership roles at churches like that. So I thank you for your ministry. I, I just, I hope your voice continues to be amplified just amongst all people. You are, you are anointed, you are loved and you are needed. So thank you so much. Wow. Thank you so much. That just made me feel all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Go try to pick up all of your kids at once and hold them. <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's about Good that luck. time. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. All righty. Bye. bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.